when you're an entrepreneur, why it's so important to have checks and balances, why it's so important to have policies and procedures. I hated them as a CEO, as an entrepreneur. We don't want to do paperwork, you know, but those procedures make a huge difference that people don't steal within your organization. You got to have the checks and balances. You see that in a church or you see that in a small school district that if somebody writes the purchase order and also writes the checks, you're pretty ripe for fraud. So those are the experiences I have and I'm on the road now all over the world doing speeches and telling, using the story of the largest lottery fraud in U.S. history, the $80 billion gamble, to tell people why it's important to keep your eyes open. Alan has started and grown several multi-million dollar businesses. His mission is to help you do the same. Welcome to the Business Growth Pod, building the future one entrepreneur at a time. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Business Growth Pod. I'm Alan Draper. I'm very excited for our guest today. His name is Terry Rich. He's a speaker, author, entrepreneur, and has a drive for integrity and honesty. Love that. He's worked in the trenches. He survived new business trends and had success with generational changes, which is interesting, especially in the current environment. Terry actually led the team that busted the largest lottery in the U.S., and he was a guest on Johnny Carson's Tonight Show. He even ran a zoo and gave away a billion dollars. I'm interested to hear some of those stories. Welcome to the show, Terry. Glad to have you. Thank you. Yeah, glad to be here. So I don't know where to start, but I want to hear about this lottery fraud. That's very interesting. Can you tell me a little bit about, I mean, your background, it sounds like it's vast. Maybe give us a hint into some of the things you've done and then touch on that story. Well, I've had four very distinctive careers and very entrepreneurial field because I grew up on a farm in the state of Iowa. And if you're a farmer, if the tractor breaks down, you got to figure out how to fix it. There may not be a store around. So I think my learned earlier, the encouragement my dad gave me was very important in an entrepreneurial organization. I was going to be a math major, but a guy said, hey, you can talk over here and make a living. So I got into radio and TV and started in cable television before it was cool. And I met an entrepreneur Ted Turner, that just absolutely floored me. And everything we seem to touch turned to gold. We helped do MTV and start all these different cable networks. And I learned a lot about entrepreneurship there. After that, the company rolled up and cashed out, much like a Google did. And all of a sudden at 40, I realized happiness doesn't happen when you make your goal. Happiness happens on the way to success. And the entrepreneur spirit was still in me. So I started my own four or five companies at that point and had a lot of fun doing work for HBO and ESPN and a whole different array of you. But at 50, I hit the wall. Well, midlife crisis, some people would call it, and decided I wanted to try to do something to give back and get off the road. And lo and behold, I got a call and said, well, they're about to close the zoo. Would you be interested in trying to turn it around? So we got to take that same entrepreneur spirit and turn the zoo around and make it the second largest cultural attraction in the state and put it in the black for with an endowment that should be around forever. And finally, a call from the governor. I was about to retire, and he said, hey, would you be interested in running the lottery? Uh, yeah. I love marketing and promotion. I love talking, as you can tell. So running a lottery should be a lot of fun. But halfway through that, I had a kind of an unexpected occurrence. And you learn in every single different job that I've done that uh, you need to know how to pivot, know how to adjust to failure. And this was an internal vendor had an employee that decided was going to try to program the computer that drew 
uh, numbers for a game called Hot Lotto. And that computer, he put a code in, and we ultimately said, wait a minute, something doesn't smell right. And he tries to claim $16.5 million. And lo and behold, all of a sudden, you had to put the serious face on and say, we need to make sure the games are fair and honest, and we're going to figure this out. And after five or six years of investigations, we got full confessions and put them in prison for up to 25 years. That's the history story. So now I'm on the road telling that story and talking about when you're an entrepreneur, why it's so important to have checks and balances, why it's so important to have policies and procedures. I hated them as a CEO, as an entrepreneur. We don't want to do paperwork, you know, but those procedures make a huge difference that people don't steal within your organ organization. You got to have the checks and balances. You see that in a church or you see that in a small school district that if somebody writes the purchase order and also writes the checks, you're pretty ripe for fraud. So those are the experiences I have. And I'm on the road now all over the world doing speeches and telling, using the story of the largest lottery fraud in U.S. history, the $80 billion gamble, to tell people why it's important to keep your eyes open. That's a really great point. I think about it a lot with my businesses. I'm worried about embezzlement. And it's not because of any particular person. It's just I could see how that could be very tempting. And early startups, they have a conundrum, right, Terry? Because they don't have the money a lot of times to fill every role that they're going to need in a couple of years or even that they need right now. And when I started my first business, I was the same guy doing payroll and everything else. And then eventually we had somebody doing payroll, but they were also the accountant you know, closing the books. And so, and I know that's very dangerous, but Taking I the like check the to point. The bank. Yeah, exactly. I like that point. It's a really good point for you entrepreneurs out there that as soon as you can make sure that you're dividing some of those responsibilities. I think Terry said checks and balances, making sure that not, you know, the same person's not doing all of those things to the extent that it's feasible. And a simple way to do that is that you sign the checks as the entrepreneur. They put everything together, but you get to see everything and you get the reports. You know, the American Association of Certified Fraud Examiners, they have a famous triangle that I like to use in my speeches. And that triangle has three things. You know, people worry about fraud outside, somebody hacking into your computers. Well, internal fraud, there are three things that usually mean that you might have internal fraud. One is the financial need. Now, you and I like to make money. We like to do things and and everybody would like to make a little more. But usually this happens when a really good employee goes through a divorce, alcoholism, drug abuse, gambling problems. So it puts them over the top that they just got to find some more money. Then the second leg of that is then they have to have the opportunity. And the opportunity is what you and I just talked about. There's no checks and balances. So they write the check, they write the PO. You see that in church secretaries, or they can put their hand in the till if it's cash, or a school district where they write the the, uh, checks and the POs. So if you have the opportunity and you have the financial need, you need that third leg of the triangle, and that is rationale. At what point do you have the little devil on your shoulder say, wait a minute, you shouldn't do that? Or the little devil says, yeah, go for it. You know what? Joe over there makes more money. night. Look how much this entrepreneurial boss is making. You're making a kill and not realizing all of the debt that you might have and everything else. And so that little devil is telling you, go ahead. You deserve it. And all of the fraud cases I saw, you can go right around that triangle and see why somebody does it. So if the financial need is there and they have that break point, a really good employee that's doing really well, if they have that major event in their life, and then you have the checks and balances. And one thing that's really simple is just to have a policy when you hire somebody and tell them, if you steal something, you will be prosecuted and you may be fired. 
all it takes. I heard this story the other day, which I thought was just unbelievable. Think of little towns where, or a little county where the lady who's in charge of the business manager, they didn't really have that many residents in that county. So they got with another county and she was doing both counties and all of the bills. Well, there was one old county supervisor and you can just see the old crusty guy, old bald like me and sitting there and and every once in a while, he just perked up and say, you ain't stealing anything, are you? <laughs> and the guy never read his minutes. He didn't read anything. He just once in a while just got cranky and said something like that. You know what? She stole hundreds of thousands of dollars, but she didn't steal it from his county. She stole it from the other. And then the rationale, it seems like in her mind, she was saying, somebody's watching me over here. So all you got to do is just have a little innuendos. Hey, I think the auditor may come in. The external auditor is coming in this week. You know, hey, I need to check the balance. We're doing a little audit this month. All you got to say is things like that and have them sign something to say so they know they could be fired if they mess up. And you'll prevent over 50% of that internal fraud. That's a really good point. I want to go back to the rationale a little bit. And not just as it deals to embezzlement, but other things as an entrepreneur. So my first company was a startup. We, you know, scraped together every dollar that we had to start our first business which was actually in the pest control industry, if you can believe that. I was a practicing attorney and I hung up my suit and tie to go start a bug company. And we've had a lot of success. We've been very blessed and we've been able to do some pretty incredible things. I'm really into cars. I like, without getting into some of the specifics, I have some pretty flashy foreign vehicles. And I remember it was about five years ago when we bought our first one, four years ago, we bought our first well-known red foreign vehicle. And I had an employee that that same day asked for a raise because I was able to buy this well-known red Italian vehicle. And I was so confused, Terry. I was so confused what I was able to do with my money had to do with him. Now, over the years since that has happened, I've started to understand it to some extent, but part of the problem was he was so naive. He wasn't there when I took a hundred thousand dollar a year pay cut. He wasn't there when you know I took my small kids, loaded them into the car, and moved from Phoenix to Detroit. Wasn't there when I quit my legal job and had no guarantees. He wasn't there, and. For the listener, these moments are going to come when you have people that are trying to, I think take advantage is a little strong of a phrase, but they're trying to benefit from what you have done. And we hear it all the time, Terry, we hear about, you know, how evil corporations are and how evil CEOs are and you know, just to clarify, I'm sure that there is some of that. There are some CEOs that, you know, some celebrity CEOs that I do not admire, that I do not look up to, that I do not aspire to be like. Setting that few aside, they deserve everything that they've earned. I think that part of the rationale that I looked at or things I tried to do was, especially if you're a public company, is to send the actual numbers out every month so everybody can see how you're doing as a company. And then taking a piece of that, if we make this, they don't need to understand the full profits and after after you're paying debt and everything else, but to see that if we do well, and here's our goal, if we do this much, 
we're going to share the wealth a little bit. And you get it on a percentage base. They can see the fairness in that. The thing that killed me, the point you're making really does happen. And I think it's important not to over show your wealth when you're in business. You want to show you're successful and that you're smart, but you're also- What's that balance, Terry? What's that balance? Because to be honest with you, what I've experienced, I'm seriously wanting to know. I'm trying to get to this because you have to strike this balance between, oh, okay, that's a company and an owner that's, they're going to be able to pay my paycheck. They're not going to have any problems with that. When it's an unknown company, right? It's small business. Most of them are. The balance, striking the balance between that and too much. What is it? I don't think it's as much money as just little, little things like if you've got the money and I've got the best desk, my office looks like over the top extravagant. You want to make sure they have the opportunity to have their work environment work better. I think the one piece that gets me every time is Christmas holiday parties where they bring the spouse and the spouse come in and they say, well, what are you going to have? You want them to have a nice meal and what do you want on the menu? Typically, they'll always go to what's the most expensive. I need to do it to the boss. We need to do it to the company because you're working too hard as spouses. And I couldn't ever figure out how to counter that except just to smile and say, I hope you all enjoy it. And whatever you order, just you know, be sure to eat it. Don't order just because you want to order the biggest one. I also think that Part of the key to success in starting a new company when you start, I tell new entrepreneurs, don't immediately jump in and sell everything off right out of college, or if you've got two or three kids, go to work somewhere because one, you're going to learn some of the best business practice. Find a company you respect in a business, learn everything you can there, have the business going, and then start your business at night and weekends so that you can have a cash flow when you get into it. Then when you have a success, every time I had a company and we sold it or things went well... I always took 10% and I put it aside and I called that my gambling money. But instead of going to the casino, that's my money for the next new great idea so that I'm not gambling the entire deal. And if I lose everything, then I've got to start over and I'm going to feel like it's not a success. But it's just like if you're going in to play craps or whatever, take $100, $200, whatever you want to gamble and say, this is entertainment money. And when I lose it, I'm not going to reach back in my pocket and pull out another hundred and pull out another hundred. Too many people in business do that. So you want to take that money that you've made and you've had success with and build it. Uh, Just like any big company, they have research and development. I call it my next big idea, my next million dollar idea with that 10%. But I always have the 90%. So if I lose it, I walk out and said, okay, I tried. It was fun. So now I'm going to find the next big idea with the next uh, venture that I make money with. And I think employees recognize or when you talk about and let them know what success means to them and to you, everybody is on the same page and what it's going to take and that you can reward them when you get that success. So, you know, find that budget, find that way. And and the final piece that I I remember as you were talking a little bit ago, hiring people. Usually, when do you hire that next person? I think that as an entrepreneur, you want to immediately find people who don't think like you, that don't look like you. Because today's market is such a global, diverse market. You've got many more people to be able to sell your products to. So you want to find a good lawyer and a good accountant right out of the chute that could be uh, advisors rather, or if you start a little board of directors with compensation, but usually just advisors. You, everybody knows someone who knows someone who it, it wants to help a new company out and then find ways for them down the road if they want to be on that before you hire. But f- surround yourself with good people that have skills that you don't have. Most entrepreneurs I know 
when the company starts really getting big, can't manage the day-to-day. I don't want to handle the operations. I want to keep coming up with the ideas. That's where the cocaine is. That's where the fun is of having success with those new ideas. And so you want to find the accountant who will tell you, you know, here's what you should be thinking about. And the lawyers, and you may get sued at this so that you can make rational decisions because I don't know the law. I'm not that big of an accountant person. And you pull it all together, and then you've got a really big winning team and a heck of a lot less. I call it calculated risks as you go into these ventures. You bring up an interesting point. I'm going to put you on the spot here a little bit. You talked about hiring for diversity. And if I've got two equal candidates, but on one hand, I have one that is quote unquote diverse and whatever that means. And the other one is just a little better at their job. I hire the one that has the drive and has the personality to get along and and can handle conflict with. I'm a big believer in the bushel basket theory. And the bushel basket theory, I try to learn something new every day. As old as I am now, I'll learn something today as we're talking here with you, Al. The idea in the bushel basket is I went to uh, Napa Valley and I thought they just went out back and picked the grapes and they made the award-winning wine. No, they go all over the valley because every year temperature is different. Ground soil, moisture is different. All these different things are are different. They're picking all these, but you see they get the diversity from everywhere before they go back and get the grapes from one of the area they think is best. Same way when you're brainstorming and putting things together, you want people around the table that have all the ideas, but you need to create an innovative environment so that you get rid of the no man's. It's a two-step process. First thing you do is get everybody to say, okay, we need 100 ideas. Every idea is a good one. We watch for the no man's. People that go, oh, no, man, we... We tried that before. It, it ain't going to work. You know, it's never. We want every idea down and you write them all down on a piece of paper and you walk away. You don't judge it because you want the lawyers and the accountants to also be given ideas and not be saying, we can't afford that or, or that thing's going to get you sued. You want them and everybody to give the ideas. And then you bring everybody back a day later, hours later, and you prioritize those hundred ideas to the best and take the top two or three. And that's, that's what you work on. And by doing that, you become to appreciate more the idea of new ideas. And I think people are afraid to give ideas because people right away judge them. So there can be no judgment in that putting all of those ideas in the bushel basket. That's so important. Then you develop the concept within your entrepreneurial organization because entrepreneurial means that we're always thinking, how can we do it better? I drove to the grocery store in two minutes. I got to do it in a minute and 59 seconds next time. How do individuals, how you do that on an individual basis rather than just getting people around the table? And when I worked for the state, you had all these state workers and I was saying, hey, let's, uh, do we paint the uh, wall yellow? Uh, let's put animals on lottery tickets. What do we do? And they just melted down. We can't handle all this. And I thought, wait a minute, I'm just giving you ideas. I don't ask you to actually do it. So we came up with a device called the kind of the three-step process. Here are the rules. If I put uh, action required, that means yeah, you better do it. That's job changing for you if you don't do it. I did that about 1% of the time. You know, this needs to get done. The second is FYI, for your information. FYI, for your information. The last one we did, and F- we want you to read it. You should know about it. We'll talk about it later. But the last one was what we did on the majority. And we started getting this dialogue called COT, which stands for consider or throw away. And the rules are, if you get something from me as the boss, that says COT in the action required, or I'm talking to you face-to-face, that means if you're busy, just throw it away. You don't even have to read it. All I'm trying to do is get ideas, fostering off and ideas in my mind. If you like it, kind of remember it, write it down, and we'll talk about it later. But consider or throw away. And all of a sudden, I started getting all these ideas back from them. And then they did it with their employees, and we got the receptionist 
who sometimes knows what's going on better than anybody because they see all the customers saying, hey, this chair needs to get replaced. Somebody's going to sue us for this. What they used to do in the past was write it down on a piece of paper and put it in the suggestion box and then wait three weeks till they get heard back. And then they'd be in the break room. Nobody ever listens to me. Management doesn't like me. Well, now they can send an idea and they know I'm not going to send them back. I'm not going to say that's good. What? Come on. This is a stupid idea. It was a way to communicate and create this innovative environment that really worked. And we started getting everybody together. As long as they knew the rules of when you're doing brainstorming, you're trying to fill the bushel basket, there's no judgment. Yeah, I like that. I read a book this past summer written by the CEO of and founder of Netflix. And pretty much the entire premise of the book is how feedback from employees is what enabled Netflix to be the success that they are. And it's something that I've I've been working on. And I think that communication piece, especially for a founder or a CEO, pretty much anybody in management, leadership, that communication piece is key. I'm learning this because I'll send an email on a Saturday and I'll get an immediate response. Hey, I'll get right on that. And I was like, oh, no, no, no. I should have mentioned like, this is for next week. I sent it so I didn't forget. And I've been getting better, Terry, at like timing my emails when they're actually sent. But if you put COT on it or an FYI and you tell everybody what the rules are, that's the important part is telling the rules. Then they know I don't have to get back right away. Uh, if it says action required, yeah, call me right back. You know, I need to talk to you this weekend. So I think those are a couple of really small ideas that I found that really, really keeps keeps things going and fosters those ideas. But just as I'm talking to you, people can see your eyes, what you're saying, how your head's held, and I'm listening to you. That's how you get reactions. And that's why so many people are afraid to give ideas because they don't want to disappoint the boss. You know, the king says, oh, poop, and the entire congregation goes out and goes to the bathroom. You know, no, no, no. I just, I was mad. You know, it was that people like to please their boss. And I think that it has a lot to do with the culture. And it's not one of those things that you can just say, hey, these are the rules. This is how we're going to communicate. Snap your fingers and it's done. It has to be from what I'm learning about our process and encouraging this feedback. It has to be reinforced. That feedback from them has to be valued, has to be acknowledged. So those are some great tips. We're running short on time here, Terry, but I want to hear about the $80 billion gamble, your book. I want to hear about what it's about a little bit, maybe 5,000 foot view and what you're you're doing to help entrepreneurs. So I have two different angles that I've gone in my life. It's mainly ideas. So I have a book, Dare to Dream, Dare to Act, which divides the two areas, starting with the ideas and then People have a great idea. Everybody has a million-dollar idea, but they forget to act. So that book talks about innovation, the things you and I just talked about. The $80 billion gamble was the gamble that the industry took that we, when we went after this large fraud, we were taking in $80 billion a year. And if we would have messed that investigation up, we could have cost the industry lots and lots and lots of money. So it goes through the entire case and how we struggled with friends who would say, just pay it, just keep your mouth shut because you're hurting the reputation of our industry. Now you can imagine if there's another bug company and something bad happens with that company, they go into a house and do something bad, how that would hurt you. They were feeling we might mess it up a little Iowa to the rest of the deal and you're gambling with our $80 billion. So that's the full behind the scenes details. It also tells the secret of how he actually rigged the lottery, the largest lottery fraud and how Bigfoot and two hot dogs helped solve that largest case. Oh, wow. How's that for a tease? 
<laughs> yeah, you just threw me a curveball there. <laughs> That's awesome. If if entrepreneurs are interested in getting a hold of one or both of those books, what are they going to get out of it? What are the lessons that it helps them specifically in a practical nature so that their businesses are going to be improved by it? Well, the $80 billion gamble is, I think, a good lesson in ethics and fraud and talks about the checks and balances, why checks and balances are so important and how people wrestle with should I fire somebody because they did just a little bit, you know, they took some paper home. What point is it actually fraud? And so I think that's what you'll learn there of balancing that and thinking about being prepared if a catastrophe or crisis occurs. There's nothing worse than coming in and finding out about it and then how do we handle it and being unprepared when the press shows up. In the Dare to Dream, Dare to Act, it really talks about the crazy fun ideas and why a little farm kid from Iowa gets a chance to try all these. It basically was, I dreamt them, had all these hundreds and hundreds of ideas, and I've got a million-dollar idea, if you want me to tell you about it before we go, that I haven't done yet. Somebody might want to steal. But when you get an idea, the second step is just as important, and that's daring to act. I've tried a lot of crazy things, and when I have success, people remember me. When I've had failures, they don't remember those. They remember the successes. Yeah, for sure. Well, let's hear that million-dollar idea. Okay, so make a millions. You've heard of mega millions, like Powerball. I was helping them on the marketing, and, and they said, give us some ideas how we can promote the jackpot better. So I was driving home. I looked up, and I looked at the moon. You know how the moon is a crescent sometimes? It looks like a fingernail. Holy smokes. All we have to do is get a laser or a big spotlight and project the mega millions jackpot. on. We could own the moon as a billboard. No one's claimed it yet. And all we got to do is just find something powerful enough to project that. So when you're looking up on the dark side of the moon – you have a billboard. So I called around, called my university and tried to get the astrophysicist and a couple people hung up on me as being a kook. And I said, well, uh, okay. So I tried another university and they said, well, you got to get outside the atmosphere before you project it because it'll disperse coming up through the atmosphere. So I got to get with Elon Musk on this one because I got to get a satellite to be able to project it. But there's a million dollar idea for sure. There you go. I bet that's more than a million dollar idea. That's awesome. Well, Terry, this has been great. I think you know entrepreneurs have a lot to learn from you. What's the best place for them to reach out if they're wanting to learn more? Uh, because I speak, the website is terryspeaks.com. You can contact me. You can see some of the uh, events on both of those, how to buy the book, all that sort of stuff. But more than anything else, don't be afraid to try something. I mean, this is uh, failure is just the first step to success. And and uh, do like Alan did and, and the rest of us. We had the idea. We took the first bold step and, and having a lot of fun. And let me tell you, I think the hardest thing is once you've had success is trying to figure out how to slow down because it really is, I don't want to use the word addicting. It's really fun. 100%. Well, thanks for joining us today, Terry. Appreciate you and keep up the great work. Thank you, sir. If you've enjoyed today's podcast, please leave us a rating. And for daily inspiration and business tips, follow Alan on Instagram. Until next time, remember, we build the future one entrepreneur at a time.